When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And with me, as always, via Zoom chat, someone who does not uh, care so much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's Kristen Studdard. Hi, Kristen. Hello, Joe. How are you doing? It continues to be. I am okay. It is 2021. And I, yeah, I, my resolution is to remember less, even less than I have about the rock hall less about the rock hall in 2021 (laughs) my goal is to retain less (laughs) it's taking up too much space Mm -hmm. that's you know what I have to I have to say that I get it I understand is Uh, your resolution Joe to get a ballot Ooh, I mean that's that's so out of my hands I feel but uh should Joe get a ballot will Joe get a ballot and (laughs) And when when? do you think it will happen and All if right. so, what? I'm excited to uh, to bring in our guest because they are referred to on this podcast before as our informant. Yes. Uh, I not, will not be revealing this person's name or really any details about them that they don't want me. I'm just going to bring them out. I'm going to introduce, I think we refer to this person as Deep Purple Throat at one point. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was really stretching on the yeah. on the pun there. So anyway, allow me to just introduce, I'm, I'll just say Deep Purple Throat is here with us from the, for the shadowy uh, <laughs> recesses of wherever they may be. Hello. Hi, yeah, I'm Deep Purple Throat. That's funny because I have a terrible gag reflex. So, <laughs> yeah, I first heard about this podcast. I don't remember how long, like a, few, a while ago. And there was, I just remember that the episode I listened to, I couldn't. I, Roxy Music. Yeah, I think I heard about it because I'm a big Roxy Music fan. So I wanted to listen to it. And the, so the reason I'm deep informant, Purple Throat, 
is that I have a very close insider connection to the Rock Hall. I know someone very closely who is pretty much as involved as you can get. So I'm just going to refer to that person as Bruce. So because of my relationship with Bruce, I know a lot about how it works. And there's just a lot of miscommunications in the media about how it works that kind of make it seem like this nefarious, like the orgy scene in Eyes Wide Shut. Where you Shadowy cabal. I just remember listening to the episode and... I think what came up for me was that there was a lot of stuff of the, like, there's a lot of myths, like, oh, Jan mm-hmm. Wenner does every, they just do whatever Jan Wenner say, or they're right. purposefully trying to keep certain, like, women and people of color out. So I guess I, like, emailed or something, and I was like, I know some people involved and just want to, like, communicate this, like, really isn't true, and they're actually, like, good people doing their best to try to make the Rock Hall a more equitable place. So that's how we got in touch, and... Right. Um, we met in person actually at the um, induction ceremony last year or now 2021 geez in 2019 yes and so joe and Kristen know that i'm the world's number one kate bush fan and they always said like if we do an episode on kate bush you should do it except i'm not in la but now that recording is virtual they're like do you want to do this i'm like hell yeah and i can also like demystify some miscommunications too without you know i don't I don't work for the Rock Hall. I don't know everything that goes on, but I, I know a lot of stuff that doesn't go on that people think does, if that makes sense. Right. And and you exist both as someone who is skeptical of the institution, <laughs> and yet there's almost an element of apology <laughs> or <laughs> clarification, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I guess it is a weird place to be in because I, um, so I think a lot of the issues with the Rock Hall come down to... Oh, I'll get in trouble with Bruce for saying this. Whatever. Sorry, Bruce. I don't really think that... I, I've been to the museum. And I thought it was really fun and cool. And it's so amazing to have these artifacts from music history for everyone to see. That is great. That should exist. I feel like the... For me personally, like Kristen, you said, the idea of inducting musicians is the least rock and roll thing in the world. That's true. Like, I think personally for me... I mean, I'm biased because I'm a socialist. So I'm biased there. <laughs> but... I just am not a fan of making hierarchies in general in life. And I think that having like institutionalizing music just some just feels wrong in some way. I think institutionalizing it in the sense of like the museum stuff, yes. But in terms of mm-hmm. like, here's who we anoint as being good enough yes. and here's who's not important enough and making those distinctions of importance to me take away from just the joy of loving and appreciating music and turns it into a competition. Well, there, there's also something where one of the positive aspects of the Rock Hall is that it can focus attention on artists and it can celebrate music yeah. in a way that can grab people if you weren't doing it in kind of a ranked or selective way that I don't know that it would draw that level of interest. I agree. I think that when people do get inducted, you, I mean, their streaming goes up, like stuff, they get more attention. So absolutely, it's true that it's a great way. I just wish that there were ways for artists to get love that wasn't about this like weird competitive hierarchy that I feel like is just antithetical to the spirit of creativity. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very valid point. Ranking art is like never going to (laughs) be, uh, you know, um, objective because art in and of itself is so subjective. And so, yeah. And I mean, that's where the categories come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's complicated is this isn't just like rating. It's not like, oh, here's the 
five best albums, it's saying like this, it's placing a value of importance and it's saying, well, this is therefore more important than this other thing, which as we'll talk about in this episode, Kate Bush is one of the most important musicians of the last of the 20th century. I know I sound hyperbolic, but for reasons to talk about, I'm really not. There's so Mm -hmm. many things that would not exist had she had not existed and yet isn't in versus like, I remember when Ringo Starr got inducted for her solo work. And I was like to Bruce, I was like, really? Come on. And Bruce like, oh, he did, he had some hits. And I'm like, but do any, <laughs> does anyone remember those hits versus like there's teenagers who have Instagram meme accounts all dedicated to make Kate, making Kate Bush memes. It's nuts. Like she's still so relevant to young people today and no one knows Ringo Starr's solo stuff. Yeah. And you know, the induction of Ringo Starr was not even necessarily about his solo work when they inducted him because they had to they there you can't you can't have an induction about a solo work because there's nothing to talk about and there's nothing to do so when they inducted him they had the intro video was about him drumming and just a bunch of people being like i like how ringo drums and then they played beatles songs i mean they did maybe one solo ringo song but they mostly played beatles songs at the ceremony and so that you know that induction it's like yeah that is very much like a we are inducting this person for the ceremony for the HBO broadcast because we know Paul McCartney is going to get there. That's a very like savvy move because that induction didn't go to the voting body. That's just a, that's almost like a business decision. Oh, did it not? I don't, it didn't go to the voting body. No, because it was in, it was in a separate category. It was in musical excellence in those separate categories. I I mean, I would have to like fact check with Bruce. Like I'm pretty, I think even that does go to. Nope. Oh, I can. They I, tend to not. That's one of the misconceptions. People always think, oh, they try to induct the people who will get the most viewers and most attention. Right. But it's really not. It really is just like the, there's this meeting where a bunch of people put forth who they think should be in. They advocate, they play lawyer and advocate for that. And then out of those, they send that to the voting body of however many thousand people. And it's whoever gets the most votes. Like, so it's not. And sometimes people who get the most votes are not the ones who are like the big names. I think the big question I always have is why, I mean, that we've kind of been clearing up in the past, like in the past year, I would say, I've gotten more clarity on it just through some of our guests, but is, I remember the year that we had seven, which was two years ago. And I, cause I thought there was just no way. Was it seven? Two so yeah, seven ago? inductees in 2019, okay. yeah. Seven in 2019 and it was six uh, in it was, 20- it's It was six in 2020. Six? I guess I'm just like the cutoff, learning about that, like it is basically like they will take the next person down if the votes are close. Like that's why we wound up with seven in 2019. It's based on where the votes are distributed. But sometimes I'm like, you know, even if the next closest person got several thousand less votes, just just knock them in. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny also you, say, you say several thousand because really there's oh yeah it's like 40. the big the big jumps is going to be like i don't know 20 votes the, yeah. the difference it never gets i think probably and this is this isn't even information i got from this informant this is information i got from another informant which is like <laughs> yeah i don't inform on that so no goes right I, don't whole ring. <laughs> I don't know details i just say general like right Oh, that thing isn't true. Mm-hmm. But like, I think the the top vote getters, it's in the hundreds, maybe like three hundred something, you know, votes. Wow. And so it's it's a it's a relatively small, you know, Voting amount. Voting body, yeah. God, yeah. that is really small. 
But there are big amounts between, say, like the top people and the people at the bottom. Yeah, I, you know, in, it's it like could... between the top people and the MC5, who are always going to get <laughs> yeah. thirty to forty votes total every year. <laughs> it's like just put the for me. I'm like just put them in already. Come on now. Just yeah. like that, there are people who it's clear that they want in that they just can't get over the hump on the voting. Shaka Khan being one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, the MC5 being another. Who else have they put on there a million times? Craftwork. Craftwork, LL Cool J, Todd Rundgren, I feel like is eventually mm -hmm. going to be that category if he doesn't just get in of someone who they're going to keep trying to put on the ballot until. And I, I don't know. I get the sense that most of the names that you brought up will get in. I don't know about the MC5. They seem like very, like they're destined to be right in the middle <laughs> of the votes. Like maybe not necessarily at the very bottom, which is I think if they were at the bottom, they probably would not get on the ballot for the following year. But I think the hope is the fact that they're like, they're like straddling. So they the must line. be getting close. That's a sense I get. Yeah. Cause I, I think, and I've heard before, like Judas Priest, the first time they were on the ballot, they got so few votes that they were just not going to put them on the ballot next year. Cause they were like, this is. Wasn't that, that was the same year as Kate Bush, right? That was the same year as Kate Bush. Because, yeah, that was yeah, 2018. I, I know I remember that, but I'll bring that up when we talk more about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because those are two people who really should be in, but they just mm -hmm. were at the bottom. So it's like, you can't, what can you do? You it's, know? yeah, it's a, it's hard and you, you can make a call of like, and I think this is true because obviously there have been artists on the ballot before who didn't get in, who eventually get in. Obviously there's a lot of artists like that. So it's, it's trying to measure out how much time do you need that will then open the doors for this person. So my question then, so we're talking about the big hoagie meeting and it's like, everybody's playing lawyer. They're taking a bite of the sandwich. They are talking about their people. Is part of the case that they make then, does, some, does someone ever counterpoint and say, well, Judas Priest was at the very bottom of the ballot last year. So we're not going to put them on next year. Like they take last year's- From what I, I, from what I understand, and this is, this is coming directly from Alan Light, who's on the nominating committee, who said this, when he was revealing, he goes on Sirius XM to announce the nominees every year. And that A was job something that we should have. <laughs> I would love it. But yeah, he and he just uh, he revealed that that it, Judas Priest came up in 2019. And then it, they said, I, I would maybe hold off on that just because of the low votes the year before that that did come up in the meeting. Mm -hmm. So uh, I mean, I kind of want to just give you free reign to like, I know we've, we've talked about myth dispelling or any just weird little, little details or anything you want to reveal, uh, you know, prove your informant status. Uh, like I won't. Um, okay. So I, I have this kind of tradition with Bruce where I get to see there's another Kate, Kate-esque person who I'm a big fan of. I'll call her Stephanie. And so... <laughs> <laughs> so I sometimes get to hear about who Stephanie voted for and I in the year of Kate Bush she just voted for the people like I, I was like oh yeah she worked with them she worked with them and didn't vote for her like soul sister where I'm like Stephanie girl are you kidding me like there's and she's also like on the record there's this great interview with her where she actually is praising Kate Bush but it's like Kate is somebody who like is so anti-industry and doesn't even she hasn't left her house in like 25 years so people don't know like elton john like knows her but like other people don't know her personally so they're not going to vote for like 
some recluse mm-hmm. who like they know only know running up that hill from the 80s yeah it's yeah. like they have elton she's got elton john's vote she's got peter gabriel's vote and then <laughs> and some of the younger people i won't again yeah. i don't want to get too revelatory but some of the younger people did go for her because she's really influential and big with i'm in my 20s like people more my age and even yeah. younger even like i see te- as i said there's always like meme accounts dedicated to her by teenagers literal teenagers you know you look at the she hasn't been on the ballot in two years and in those two years we have had many many british inductees whether it's radiohead roxy music the, the cure depeche mode you're also naming all men that that's a very important sticking point yeah and they're sure. also all men besides roxy music who, and I still cannot believe they got in. But besides Roxy Music or all ones, like I think I texted you the other day where I said like the Cure is playing in Target. Like, mm-hmm. like, like you can hear the Cure play in Target. You're not right. gonna hear, like, but even I guess copy songs. what I mean though, is I think those people now are, because they are now part of the voting body, they mm-hmm. would be more inclined to vote for Kate Bush than your typical American musicians. And so I'm, I'm curious if, that tide can turn with, you know, an artist like Roxy Music and T-Rex, both artists that were way bigger in the UK than they were in America. Like, because like in the 90s and 2000s, you would have said like, no fucking way Roxy Music is is getting in because it just, it doesn't feel American. But maybe we're getting to a, a place in the Rock Hall where the British bands that wouldn't be as obvious to an American audience there's a path for them. Maybe. I mean, because, for example, another one that's always been huge to me is it's obscene that Joy Division isn't in. Like, yeah. considering influence, that's obscene. But, um, and I've said that to Bruce a million times, like, come on. But, um, <laughs> Do you know about Joe's um, desire for Joy Division? And well, um, I don't think it's a, uh, it's an unpopular desire. I just feel very strongly that Joy Division should be inducted with New Order, with a slash. That's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, for a number of reasons, both that spiritually feel correct and then also on a very like practical, like you don't want to have two yeah. inductee slots going to basically the same band on like two different years. That just seems stupid. Yeah, I think it's doable. I think what comes up for me what, what, with what you're bringing up is yes, that does open the door. And just because these people are inducted now doesn't mean they're going to vote. They're doing other stuff. Voting for the Rock Hall, I mean, I would love if all of them vote. But that we don't necessarily know that they're going to. And even I think the Depeche you guys are going to get on a little Zoom. The Depeche are going to have a little Zoom. Everyone in a different time zone with a drink. I'd love They're all going to fill out their ballots together. And it's going to be very cute. And they would all vote for Kate Bush. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's what I believe. They did. I will drop this hint early. They did. um, Personal Jesus uses a sample from her song, from the title track of her best album, The Dreaming. So they clearly are fans, but yeah, I think even then that's just like, you know, like 10 more people in a pool of a few thousand. So you you know what, why not try? I mean, I have some reasons why not try, but we can talk about that later. The punchline is I'm like her biggest fan and I'm connected to the Rock Hall. And the punchline is I actually don't want her to be inducted. I have a question for you then. Who are some of the artists that you think are the biggest snubs then? So it sounds like Roxy getting in was a big surprise and a, and a great one. That blew my mind because I thought with how poorly Kate Bush did, there was absolutely no way they were going to get in. 
because yes, like more than this and love is the drug are quite recognizable in the US. But even then, there's like, I, I know I hardly talk, I have way more people I know have heard of Kate Bush than them. Oh, um, yeah. So I don't know how that happened. I, like, I was shocked, but I'm very happy. Other biggest snubs. I mean, most of the things that to me are snubs are people who like, there's no way in hell they would get in and don't even necessarily like, again, I don't even know if I'd want them to be in, but so it's personal are, versus, you yeah, know, it's more yeah. personal. You'd have to get back to me about who I think the biggest snubs are in terms of like, oh, these are foundational obvious ones because besides Kate Bush, because my other ones are people like Nico or Diamanda Galas, who I think are really important to music history and have been wildly influential, but not in ways that would ever get acknowledged by this voting body in a million years. Yeah. Oh, Susie and the Banshees is a huge overlook for me. Huge. I mean, Robert Smith got to start with them. Literally in the band. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, you were literally inducting Robert's, I mean, yes, The Cure is more popular, but they wouldn't even necessarily exist in the same capacity without Susie and the Banshees. So for me, all the go- all the dark stuff for me. Um, but yeah, Kroll, yeah, obviously Kraftwerk, but they've been trying, they've been trying. Yeah. Um, I think that's on, I think that's coming soon. You know, it's funny, you mentioned the, the kind of goth artists. I just remember initially you had reached out to us. We had talked about one that it was like Roxy Music is never getting in in a million years. Yeah. And then number two was that you would never go to an induction ceremony in a million years. And then <laughs> both things happen the next year. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, what else don't you think will happen in a million years? Say some wishes, like, <laughs> like you don't believe they'll come true. <laughs> yeah. The difference, however, between like Roxy Music and a musician like Nico, who most people know from the Velvet Underground, but her, mm-hmm. she's my other favorite musician after Kate. And my third favorite is Joanna Newsom. They He's at least got a type. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my type of music is, I always describe it as white women who male music critics condescendingly describe as witches. Uh, I'm curious, do you remember the first time you heard Kate Bush? Yes. So I came to her, so I hate talking about it because it's embarrassingly late, and it was also the worst timing ever. So 20, as we all know, well, as most people don't, but as we all know, um, 2014 was a really benchmark year because she had her 1979 tour, which was the tour of life through Europe, and then didn't perform, didn't do any tours again ever. Went radio silent. I mean, she had a few one-off live performances, but the last time she even performed on TV was on an episode of Top and the Pops in 1994. So everyone said, speaking of never in a million years, it was just a known thing that she was never performing live again. Um, she did, like the last time she did was on a one-off performance with Dave Gilmore, um, doing Comfortably Numb at one of his shows in 2002. <laughs> Anyways, 2014, she out of nowhere announces that she's performing live for the first time in 35 years for a concert series called Before the Dawn, which would in London. So it's more of a residency, not a tour. And I hate this timing so much. So (laughs) I then I'd heard her name before Mm -hmm. and I had this inkling that like this would be my type of thing. Like this is actually, so this is funny. I've never listened, I purposely avoid Tori Amos because I know that if I got into her, I would get way too obsessed and like, I <laughs> can't handle that. I life. cannot believe that you do not listen to no Tori. No one can believe like, it. Everyone- I truly cannot believe it. In my mind, I was like, that's who the Stephanie ballad is. It's Tori no. Amos. <laughs> like- yeah, no, it's, 
I purposely, because I have this, I can get this gut feeling when I know I'm going to be really into something. And I, when I get into something, I get all in and can't get out. So I know when to avoid. It's so like I how like, I saved a whole, I used to, I stopped, I did not start watching the British baking show, uh, the Great mm-hmm. British Bake Off for years because I knew it was going to consume my life. I, I was going to get too into it. I was going to think about it. I was going to binge watch it, like all of that stuff. Um, it's probably different, but similar. <laughs> no, I guess my mom and grandma just started that. And I'm kind of the same way with that show. So I basically, I had heard her name vaguely, but had that vibe of like, I think this would become a life-consuming obsession, so I'm not going to go there. But I just didn't, I barely, all I knew about her was like weird British, like we, by weird I say with love, like more like off the beaten track British artist who was very groundbreaking. And then I was reading about Before the Dawn, like when it happened, and I was like, hmm, I'll check this out. So I literally missed, like if I had just gotten into her a few months before, I would have been able to go to Before the Dawn. And it, I, it, every single day of my life, it kills me that I wasn't there because she refuses, she had it filmed and refuses to release the DVD footage, which I will haunt her for, like, I'm so mad. <laughs> it's so classic. She's like, it's a live experience. You have to be there. I'm like, but you filmed, you literally, like, they cleared seats to have it filmed. So the first time I heard her was 2014. And I have very clear memory. I was sitting on my couch in my um, first apartment I lived at and I was, I watched the, there's two versions of the Wuthering Heights video. There's white dress and red dress. White dress is far superior, FYI, but more Americans know the red dress. And I was watching red dress Wuthering Heights and I was like, this is ridiculous. And I remember so clearly, I remember texting Bruce, who's my contact, because Bruce has worked a lot historically with um, 80s British artists. And so I figured like he would know a little about her, which spoiler, he doesn't, he's never, met her it kills me I'm like Bruce come on so I remember texting Bruce and being like I'm watching this Kate Bush video and it's so like it's so ridiculous and he's like yeah I never got the hype with her like lol we we lol a lot (laughs) so then right after that then I watched her running up that hill video and I was like wait wait and then I watched there was a two it's a 2014 BBC documentary called the Kate Bush story Mm -hmm. I watched that and that was it that I recommend to people all the time. I call it the gateway drug. After I watched that documentary, I was hooked, lined, and sinkered. I listened to all her albums in chronological order. I read every single interview she has ever done. Like literally every single interview she's ever done. As I mentioned, when I'm into something, I'm all in. Like, the thing I, you thought movie, would happen, it happens. <laughs> yeah, when I, my favorite movie is Moulin Rouge. I have seen it over a hundred times. I watched every music video watched every interview just like everything and also I think some helpful context I was going through a pretty shitty time in my life because I had a really horrible boss or I was like literally scared to go to work every day and I think that her coming into my life at that time was really important because it gave me like something else to put my energy into like because I basically my stress release is that I would come home because if you watch her videos you will see that she has elaborate dance routines in her videos I would come home from having somebody treat me like shit all day and then teach myself the dance routines. And that was like, it felt amazing. It was like, cause exercise feels great, right? Mm-hmm. So I taught myself how to do dance for all the dance routines from her videos. And I can do some of them literally in my sleep. And I just became all in. 
And from there, just, yeah, I just became friends with a lot of people, like, who are also fans of hers. I, um, Bruce, cover your ears. I have performed professionally as Kate Bush impersonator in multiple cities and even the United Kingdom. I have had article published on her. I've had multiple works published on her. And I co-host, well, I don't co-host the whole podcast, um, but my friend Cecily, we ended up getting in touch at one point. She had started a Kate Bush podcast called Strange Phenomena. And which is in the same podcast network as you as this podcast actually right. it's, it's a pantheon Netflix. show yeah so it's good cross-promotional so cecily and i ended up talking like getting in touch and she had just completed she's do so strange phenomena the way it works is that it's going through her discography one song at a time and each song is, is its own episode and we analyze so she had just done season one for all the songs on the kick inside and somehow we touched base towards the end of that and um, at this, as she was doing that, I was having, writing my article on the Kick Inside's 40th anniversary. So I was like kind of drawing a lot from that and we were talking and I ended up joining her as a co-host for most of the, like pretty much, probably at least half of the episodes since then. Because the point of the project for her is to talk with fans from all over the world and to show how relevant and important she is. Because she talks to people who are teenagers, who are in their 60s, who are in Australia, or California, everywhere. So the point of it is to really show like the diversity of her fan base, but because she and I have also just become really close friends. So, and like I provide a very kind of unique insight into her work because I have, I'm a therapist in my real life, which is funny. And so like from that perspective, and also like I have a lot of background in like literary studies, gender studies. So usually I'm coming from that. And so we, anal so I've done a lot of analysis of her work on that podcast as well. So definitely in like your show notes, you, you, you probably include like a link to that podcast. That's really great. So I'm on like, I'm on most of those. So I started with like Lionheart, her second album, and I've been on a lot, um, less and less as the since the dreaming season, because the, her first four albums are my favorites of hers so as the ones as the show goes on and I have fewer to say about certain songs I'd rather hold, pass the mic to someone who's more to say but yeah so it's I just she's just become she really is again oh this is not a good thing to say but she is like a mother figure to me like I just <laughs> she really is and not just to me like Cecily and I have talked about this on the podcast like she is a mother figure and I wrote about this in the ballot basically how she's been kind of a so, oh, that's another thing I'll talk about. A, yeah. uh, so she really is like, a, yeah, she's like a guiding light for basically everyone in the world who has been like told that they were too weird or too whatever. Because when I was working for that abusive boss, I would be walking to work and listening to her on my headphones and be like, this person did whatever she wanted. And it was so against the grain and she still managed to become successful and make her own way. And that was really inspiring for me as I was preparing to walk into a building where I would be like treated horribly. Well, that's that's really nice. And I think that's the power of art uh, when it's done right is that it can provide that type of comfort and safety for people. Uh, as you know, I have a list of categories that I use, we use on this podcast. Speaking of things that provide you comfort, comfort and, safety. and safety, my little list <laughs> of categories. Uh, and we, at every episode, we go through them and evaluate the artist in question. And we determine if they, based on the categories, have a decent shot uh, or have a good case for induction. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. And when we come back, we're going to see how Kate Bush does in these categories. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you, Kristen. Uh, you you revealed the reason behind your pet's name. There you go. Uh, Kate Bush became eligible for the Rock Hall in 2004 because her first release recording was in 1978. She has been on the ballot one time before in 2018. And our informant can talk a little bit about that, given her connections. Yes. So it's so as I said, it's really not sketchy how the Rock Hall works. However, one thing that will always be interesting to me is that once, I remember over the summer leading up to that, Bruce said to me, who do you think are the two people who really most should be in the Hall of Fame who aren't? And I said, Nina Simone and Kate Bush. And then they both ended up on the ballot. I don't know how, like, I am, there's obviously no influence, but like, and I even said to him, I was like, Bruce, come on, like, what? But he's like, no, you're not that important. I'm like, <laughs> no, he literally was like, oh, okay. But it just, it can't be coincidence, right? But so, and then Nina Simone got in, thank God. So she was nominated that year. I don't know who was the person in the room who like went hard for her, if it wasn't me, because I don't know. But like, but someone advocated for her. She got on the ballot. There was a writer booked to, so for, as I mentioned earlier, my background, I'm a therapist. At the time I was in grad school, therapist grad school. And before that I worked in publishing. So I'm not in the music industry. I'm just a fan. And they send out a packet that's like a little book with mm -hmm. like little write-ups for each nominee and that goes out to all the voters. So all, however many thousands of them. And it's usually, they're all written by like esteemed music critics and, or the people who work for them if they can't find someone. So they had someone booked to write Kate Bush's. And I was like, I was like, you're really having a man write this? Eh. And Bruce said something like, well then go write your own as a joke. But I did, <laughs> and I did, and I sent it to him, like, here you go. And he sent it to the museum. Like, it wasn't a nepotism thing. He sent it to the museum, and they just genuinely thought it was better than the other one, apparently. And my- his woman's work. Okay. It was, yeah. <laughs> Which is also like her most overrated song. <laughs> and um, so this woman's work got in there over some dude. He was like, I Googled him and he was very legit. So it was just nuts that in this packet, it was all these like esteemed music critics and then this grad student. Uh -huh. <laughs> but so I was just really glad, but it felt more organic for me because as I mentioned, like I have a lot of friends in kind of like the Kate fan community. So it really felt nice for, I guess, one of us to be the one speaking for her. Yeah, that's great. And that's the little booklet that goes out with the ballot. Let's talk about, let's get in the categories. The first category is iconic slash recognizable songs now the kind of qualifier here is that we are looking at this from an american perspective because even though the rock hall doesn't say necessarily that it's american kind of by default it is if you're in the uk this is a much longer list but in america i think the top one is running up that hill all it's tough because so basically in the UK everyone knows her if you go to mm -hmm. Sainsbury's which is like I used to live there if that's like their grocery store chain her music plays in the US only the goths and the gays know her so yeah, know her well yeah yeah 
but even like or like some music people will like kind of know but even a lot of music so here's the thing like I was an English and women's studies major at a small liberal arts college and still didn't hear her music till after college so that's speaking to like that's her core audience mm-hmm. yeah and I still hadn't heard that <laughs> although to be fair you were protecting your time by by avoiding her <laughs> well I, that I wasn't I hadn't even uh, really heard been exposed to her stuff really I just vaguely had heard of her but yeah like, that's a good point that I think in America you are not stumbling upon Kate Bush's right. music and you have to seek it out or you have to hear about it and then follow down a path although with running up that hill specifically within the past year or so there was a big alt-rock radio hit by this woman named Meg Myers that was a cover of running up that hill like a pretty faithful cover it it sounds very similar to the original i have never heard of this person that you are speaking of but i also do not listen to rock radio yeah it was big it went to number one on like the alt rock charts it got played a lot like if and i'm someone who just will put on maybe k-rock or 98.7 out here in la as i'm scrolling through and i heard it quite a bit and so i think that elevated her presence a little bit this year with how how big of a song that was well because cecily who's like the co-host who's the main host for um strange phenomena the kate podcast she first heard her music because she would listen to this radio show channel called like flashback alternative she always mentions and so they'd play mm-hmm. her music there so it's something so she was big essentially on the college radio circuit so if you were plugged into that at a certain like most of her american fans know her through like college radio in the 80s essentially mm-hmm. and so if you were plugged into that you know her and if not not really because running up that hill was her only song to chart in the u.s went to number 30 and also i think that the best known covers is placebo's running up that hill and if i only could make a deal with god and get him to swap our place but that's how a lot of people know them they'll be like oh yeah i heard that like once i was like if you heard her in the 80s it was on the on college radio if you heard her in the 90s it was the placebo cover if you heard her in this decade it was the meg myers cover or whatever or in this decade it's also just like from the inch like she's just become a lot bigger on the internet and also actually in the last few weeks she babushka has become big on tiktok (gasps) very funny you know there's this stat that shows her streaming went like up like skyrocket in the last like week because of because of that yeah i Um, would i would put babushka if we have to pick like maybe three songs that people know running up that hill and then i would put babushka up there too Covers. I think this one's work would be up there because it's a Maxwell cover. Like it was performed, I remember on American Idol once, and they said, This one's work by Maxwell. I was like, Ugh. Well, and that was the thing. So um, the way that I know her work was I, I had heard the song running up that hill, like at some point in my life, but I was not like a Kate Bush fan. And then 
I saw it was on So You Think You Can Dance. There was a big, there was a cancer dance. There were a lot of themed dances. There was an addiction dance. There was a dance about like there, there's a lot of dances about themes and issue dances. And there was the cancer dance was to this woman's work, but the Maxwell cover. And I had not ever heard the Kate Bush version. And then someone that I was watching the show with was like, oh my God, this song is originally by Kate Bush. My mom loves this song. And then that was like, I had heard of it through that. And then embarrassingly enough in the early 2000s, there is a, I would call them pop punk band. There's a British pop punk band that I was very into in like the very early 2000s called the Future Heads. Oh yeah. And they have... They have a Hounds of Love cover, which I did not know was a cover for many years. And it was my favorite song on the album. I do really like their cover of it. I think they do a fun version of it. It's got like, it's not very Kate Bushy, but it's like definitely the song. I just can't deal with this I feel ashamed to be there oh, 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 oh. your hands of loving oh, oh, oh. In more recent years, I got really into the song Cloud Busting because, you know, I live in LA and it's really just a self-help culture and um, Cloud Busting is the kind of song, you know, you, you set your alarm to <laughs> to like believe that, some, that you're going to have a good day. was featured on the as was this one's work both of them were featured on the show the handmaid's tale um okay. and something speaking of like i think you said like someone said my mom loves her most mm -hmm. americans i know who like her music have been around my age have been people where like their parent knew who she was and turned them on but again it tends to be like people more like me who are like on the artsy side of the spectrum and the fact that i'm like her prime demographic i literally am like i took a i took a whole seminar on the bronte sisters that is her prime demographic. And obviously, speaking of that, it's worth mentioning that her her debut single, uh, "Wuthering Heights," is also a song that is among her most iconic and recognizable. And that's a song that I feel <laughs> maybe I first heard it because someone tried to do it at karaoke, and then middle <gasps> midway through it was like. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next category is classic albums. Now, Kate is very much an albums artist. I would say, you know, she puts the effort into making her albums exist as, you know, a singular piece. Depending on who you talk to, especially especially Kate Bush stands will you know say that nearly all of her releases are classics. It, it, from kind of somewhat of an outsider perspective, I would say. You know, the big one is Hounds of Love, mm -hmm. which is the album that does have Running Up That Hill on it and is considered to be like she's she's fully producing it all herself. And she is she's figured out 
you know, the, her experimental uh, expression, like this is the document of when like she achieved her height. And, you know, some people would maybe, I mean, you're wearing a, the dreaming shirt, you know, at, that's maybe an album that was misunderstood because that came before it. And at first was thought of as like, okay, she's starting to figure out what she's wanting to do. And then she kind of figured it out on Hounds of Love, although there's been some revision on that. There is a very standard narrative about her that gets written by straight white male music critics, mm -hmm. which is that she had her first albums where she was finding her voice and experimenting, like made, making some missteps along the way. And then Hounds of Love is when she finally figured herself out as an artist. That's a false narrative. She was a very, from day one, from in interviews and reviews and performances, everything, she came out fully formed. Hounds of Love is a lot more digestible for a lot of people because, and I'll just be, this will get me hate, but whatever, like because her voice is deeper and it's less threatening. And that's the reason why it's the most acclaimed one. It also is amazing. It really is. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is that her early work, and I say this with the deepest love, she sounds like a drown, like a, ba a bag of patch drowning. I say that with the deepest love because I love the way that sounds in terms of how she sings, but that is not digestible. She for a lot said of her third favorite artist is Joanna Newsom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The thing is that her, as her voice became more, for lack of a better word, normal, mm -hmm. her work became more accessible for people. And that's not to say that Hounds of Love isn't interesting and experimental because it is, it truly is. But the narrative that like she didn't become this like complete artist or her fully formed self until Hounds of Love is something that she herself has also said is deeply untrue. And most of her like biggest fans will kind of call, it's very much like an outsider narrative. Right. What uh, is, would you say that The Dreaming is your favorite album of hers? Yeah. yeah, it's her best. And most amongst her more like hardcore fans, it tends to be the number one choice. But I love, I think in terms of the classic albums, definitely Hounds of Love is the one that gets most recognition in that sense. I would say that her first five, arguably six, if you want, and arguably Ariel too, could all count for sure. They're all masterpieces. Now, this connects to the next category, critical acclaim. Do you guys think that Kate Bush has an album on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list? I do, and I think it's Hounds of Love. Okay. I don't, but I don't think that matters because she's better than that anyway. <laughs> All right, Kristen, do you think it was on the original list or the updated or both? I think it's only on one, but I don't know which. Maybe it was on the old one. No, no, maybe it got added because they, they updated it and made it better. I think it's on the new one. Do you want to make a number guess? But I feel like I always guess, right? at this point but like i'm maybe it's lower I, I was gonna say 386 but now i'm like maybe it's 275 okay so kate bush has one album on the rolling stone 500 it is on the updated 2020 list and it is hounds of love and it comes in at 68 I fucking oh, shit. So I, it's like I my initial one of 386 and then I was moving it down and then I was like you should have moved it even further down the list because this new list is truly wild there in are no good rules. ways yeah it's like there are no rules Kate Bush can be in the top 100 like anything can happen it's not really a rolling stone list that I think is the hardest part 
to make in the classic it, sense to of place the word, about yeah. it, it does not feel like a Rolling Stone list. And that's what's weird about it. And so <laughs> I've had to recalibrate my thinking. I guess for me, I don't even, like when I think of if an art, artist is critically acclaimed or not, that doesn't even occur to me. But yeah, let, let's talk about critical acclaim. That's just kind of our entryway into it. Uh, and also because the Hall and Jan Wenner and Rolling Stone have been classically, you know, so Some connection. Yes, and also that's one of the big myths, right? And like the thing is, Jan Wenner and Rolling Stone have no say over who gets in. Right, but you also can't deny that yeah. the nominating committee literally happens at the offices right. of Rolling Stone, right? So there, there's an obvious connection there. Well, not anymore, but it used to Well, be. I mean, nothing yeah. happens in any buildings. Well, no, actually, <laughs> they, moved, um, they moved before that. Oh, interesting. I yeah. imagine with uh, Jan's exit, they- Yeah, well, the thing is that now the Rock Hall operates out of a separate building from Rolling Stone. Like, they're not hmm. connected anymore. Interesting, did not know that. Okay, so let's talk about critical acclaim. I think Kate Bush is a critical darling. She's a she's a critics artist. I mean, like it may be even in a way that some of the classic straight white male critics didn't want to have to admit, but had no choice. I mean, what more could you want? She's kind of like a critic's dream, like this person who was daring and courageous and uh, experimental and at times avant-garde and challenging, uh, but still making really great music. It's so it's kind of another area where it's different in the UK and the US because in the US, so her technically she performed two songs from her first album in SNL in 1978, but really gained zero traction in the US until the dreaming got pretty big on college radio in the early 80s. So American audiences essentially skipped to the middle of her career. Whereas in the UK, she always was acclaimed and her number, her first single ever as, an, as a 19 year old, Wuthering Heights was the first number one self-written song. I mean, who goes to number one with their debut at 19, 1978? Mm -hmm. With a song about a classic book. <laughs> with the weirdest song ever. Right. And a lot of people based on that song, understandably, I would have too thought she was a one hit wonder because it's such a novelty type song, but she really stayed around. And um, so what's interesting is that for her first part of her career in the UK, while she did have acclaim and popularity, she also was very highly mocked and sexualized. Um, she is a very beautiful woman. And she, there were, there was a photo shoot for her first album taken by the, rock photographer Gerard Mankiewicz where you can very visibly see her nipples and those were put on like buses billboards everywhere in the UK when the kick inside was released and so she was heavily sexualized and a lot of people did not take her seriously and in an interview she said I struggled to be seen as a musician and not just a body whereas in the U.S. that part of her career kind of got jump skipped right to critical darling which I think find really fascinating whereas now in the UK she's made a commander of the British Empire in 2013 she is now considered a cultural establishment and then if we take a look at the next category, commercial success, similar to what you were saying, it's a very different story, UK versus the States. If you look at the UK, so many of her albums went platinum, pretty much the first two. And then, you know, Hounds of Love went two times platinum. And then the next several after that went platinum. She sold, you know, millions of records in the UK. And then you look at you know, how they're selling in the U.S. and it's it's not so much. So she's an icon in the U.K. and you hear her everywhere. But then over here, it, she's almost like an underground artist. Yeah, she's like left of the dial, like very much like 
you know, college underground indie radio person. Which is so funny because she is, and I say this again with love, she is so musical theater. She's so corny and theatrical in, in many ways. So the fact that she here in the U.S. is basically like the provenance of the goths and the gays and the cool kids is so funny because she's deeply, deeply uncool. But she's so artsy. She's mysterious enough that you don't know how uncool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she, she's shrouded in enough mystery that you're like, ooh, what's her deal? And she's like, I'm reading a book. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> she's reading a book, but there's fog. <laughs> the next category is longevity. If we look at 1978 was the first uh, released recording. It was the kick inside and, you know, Wuthering Heights as a single. And, you know, she released her next album in the same year. But then over time, she became an artist that kind of in defiance of what the industry would want from a musician. She took her time with her albums and then, it, you know, it was two years for the next one and then, you know, two years for the next and then three and then four and then. Well, yeah. And like it, it really, it, she took her time, but it, against, I think the popular thinking, I think that has kept her as a relevant artist I think if you had to define her heyday, it's probably 78 to maybe the Red Shoes, 93, which is like before her first giant break because she didn't have a release until 2005. But when she came back in 2005 in the UK, she was welcomed with open arms and everybody was really excited. And that album was very successful. And I agree, Joe, that like her, so she took 12 years between the Red Shoes and Ariel, even though she did that so that she could garden and have a kid and have spare time that was the smartest possible that was the unconsciously smartest career move possible because it basically made her by taking that long break she let her persona and her body of work and its power grow and build influence and i think within that 12 year period so many more people like people who were coming out around that time like bjork you know all those people were who were so influenced by her were coming up and we were realizing oh look at the seismic effect that that she had in this time and it because her mystery grew people became more obsessed with like figuring like there was some guy wrote a whole mm -hmm. book about like tracking down what she was doing and she became so much more legendary because of that and also it, that has really contributed to her longevity and she hasn't had any new albums since 2011 in almost it'll be 10 years this year yikes but i think at this point that's almost like good for her as an artist, because also the less work she has, the less bad work she has. And even if you were just to judge her based on, you know, when she was regularly releasing albums, like 78 to 93 is a very impressive run of kind of being at, at the top of her game. And, you know, yeah, mystery is credit, you know, is street cred in, in the industry sometimes. It's like, everyone's always like, oh, you've got to constantly be releasing music. And it's like, yeah, no, sometimes the best thing you can do is just uh, kind of, as for someone like Kate Bush, who mm -hmm. is, who kind of trades in an avant-garde persona. It's like, oh yeah, and then she disappeared for a while, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the next category, which is influence. I mean, there's there's a lot to say here about... Yeah, I'll try to be concise because she. it's hard to think of people who are more influential. I have this theory. There, there's four templates for white women in music, and it's Janice, Joni, Kate, and arguably Madonna, although 
there are actually a lot of things Madonna couldn't have done without Kate. So the Janice template is like the rock chick. So even like Stevie Nicks is technically, even though she's such an original and singular figure, she stems from the Janice template. And you have the Joni singer-songwriter guitar template, even though she's a lot more than that. Then Kate Bush is the quote-unquote weird girl template. And Madonna is the like pop girl. So the thing is, you cannot read any description of a woman in music who isn't like mainstream without them being compared to Kate Bush. It's like actually a running joke that there was this article. It was a joke article, but it was called Everyone Steals from Kate Bush. And it was, it's the funniest thing I've ever read. I like, every time I'd read it, it would just, my stomach would hurt. But because it, because it, it starts off with the predictable. It's like, oh, Bjork took this, Torim took this, but then it starts like bullshitting, like Beethoven took this. It's really funny, but it goes to show that like she created her own template of the quote unquote alternative weird girl. Last year, actually not badly written article saying like Billie Eilish is the new Kate Bush. And a lot of Kate Bush fans were like, that's no Kate Bush is, there is no new Kate Bush, which is valid. But the point the article was trying to make was that because Billie Eilish is a teenage girl collaborating with her brothers a lot, which is how Kate Bush started too, and like doing something very different from the norm, that she was like Kate in those ways. I don't necessarily agree, but I thought it was really interesting. Going from there also, it's like, so yes, there's influence as a singer, but then also as a songwriter and as a producer and as someone who experimented with production and, and sampling and the kinds of sounds she made, that kind of influence extends to all sorts of people in a lot of different genres too. For her tour of life in 1979, this is always my fun fact that people get astounded by. She performed, she was, she was the first person to use a, like a headset microphone, which was made using a wire hanger. So for that alone, she deserves to be in because literally no pop tour exists without the headset microphone. That is the Madonna without- right. Madonna. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was referring to. And also in terms of the Madonna piece too, not just as a singer, songwriter, producer, also the little amount she has performed live, her as a live performer is so hugely influential. So the tour of life was this like multimedia extravaganza. It's on YouTube, you, you can look it up. There had been no pop shows like it before that. It basically created the template of like a woman singing and dancing at the same time. Um, I mean, there was disco and stuff, but this was elaborate routines and things like that and elaborate stage pieces. There was really nothing like it. So she, like this whole, every basically like solo female pop tour spectacle orig literally originates the tour of life. Nobody had done that before her. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I know music history stuff. And we have talked about this before as well, but there was a video that came out, I think probably two, maybe two and a half, three years ago of Big Boy from Outkast yes. talking about how he l had a cassette. He had the Hounds of Love cassette that he used to listen to while he was riding his bike and he would be listening to Running Up That Hill while he's like cycling around Atlanta. Um, you know, as a child and how like how her style of songwriting and layering musically influenced him as a songwriter and a musician too. She has had a big impact on hip hop, especially through her use of, she like really layers sounds and is an early pioneer of sampling. So her most, the most notable one is probably on the song Hello Earth from Hounds of Love. She has a choral piece from Nosferatu the Vampire, the Werner Herzog movie. Look at it go. So 
as a producer, she used a Fairlight CMI, which is best known with Peter Gabriel. They worked on it together, actually. So with the Fairlight CMI, you can program any sound you want. And that's how she, she started doing that when she co-produced her third album, Never Forever. And so she was sampling all over the place. But like when you just look at in terms of influence, she's really touched everything. Like Imogen Heap has this quote where she says, when I was 17 and getting my first record deal, it was the likes of Kate Bush who had contributed to labels, taking me seriously as a girl who knew what she was doing and what she wanted. Like she literally, she did the first theatrical solo girl spectacle as I talked about. She was the first person to wear a swan dress in her 1980 performance of Elias on, on the BBC. So that was before Bjork. And her music videos are groundbreaking. As I mentioned, they'll have an elaborate dance routine against a stark background, which is literally the single ladies video, but years and years earlier. Lady Gaga covered her duet with Peter Gabriel, Don't Give Up, because she said she, quote, wanted to make something that young people would hear and learn something about Kate Bush and her theatric, everyone's theatricality has mm -hmm. roots in Kate well, Bush's. And you know, performances. you bring up Bjork even, I was just thinking, I'm like, cause I do think, I think hopefully we'll do a Bjork episode someday. And I think Bjork should be in the hall. I think Bjork mm -hmm. is really important. And, you know, she definitely fits into that kind of like archetype category that you're talking about. Like she certainly is the Kate Bush archetype type like she would be under mm -hmm. that categorization and it's also interesting because Lady Gaga is probably the crossover between the Madonna and Kate yes. Bush type she managed to like be the the hybrid in of those categories in some way I think also it's interesting that Kate Bush what goes to speak to her being such an archetype and one of the templates as a, is that she has so few forebearers like her influences are Bowie, Roxy Music, Elton John there wasn't really anyone like Kate Bush before Kate Bush. She was so new and different. Uh, Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols, when he first heard her, was like, "What? Is, this is so weird and different. And I, I love it for that because it's not like anything else. And it's certainly not like anything I do, but that's that's why it's great. Yeah, he actually at one point wrote a song in her. I think it's called like Bird in Hand, but she rejected it. <laughs> She doesn't, she's like, she does, as I said, she's that person in the group project who's like, no guys, I have to do yeah. all of it. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and we're, we're, all, we're kind of talking about this, uh, the next category, art, artistry and skill. We, we're already kind of like obviously touching on that quite a bit. You know, someone who took risks and had a vision and did not compromise with her vision. And it's a really, to me, like one of the th things that makes you a great candidate for the rock hall is if you can do those things, not compromise your artistic vision and still find success and mainstream success. When that type of thing happens, I think it's a really special thing. It's like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Kate Bush has done that. I, I, I don't think at any point Kate cared about what anybody else thought. Yeah. And just the thing about her also that's so groundbreaking and so important and why she deserves to be part of any pantheon of like, here are the most important musicians, is that music is so traditionally about the confessional. And like, we assume that what the artist is saying is their life experience. Her yeah. songs are written very differently as short stories from the points of views of specific characters for the most part. And she, above everything, always describes herself in interviews as I'm a writer, like above anything. So instead of drawing from this kind of, especially from women, we expect them to be singing about like their love life, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of this kind of confessional based musical form, she's creating these odd polarizing sounds with this voice that people can't stand to tell stories of as one song and was the podcast involved with 
calls Strange Phenomena, and later then takes complete sonic control over her work as a producer and, let's not forget, also a multi-instrumentalist mm -hmm. in a still predominantly male-dominated music, music industry, where to this day women are denied agency or forced to compete with one another in the same way of, like, you can't get like poor Tori Amos cannot breathe that someone being like that breath sound that was a Kate Bush ripoff, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think we're ready for the last category, maybe the most important category, uh, which is does my mom know who they are? And I asked my mom and I was surprised that she said yes. Whoa. You know, um, and to the point where I like kind of pushed her on it, I was like, okay, but, okay, but do you? And she was like, yeah, I think, you know, I, I've, I've, I've heard of her. I don't know that she could pinpoint the songs, but she seemed pretty confident that she had heard of Kate Bush. The only reason my mom had heard of her is so I, so I basically kind of grew up in the music industry. So my mom, she knew who Kate Bush was because she had a coworker at one of the record labels she worked at who like was obsessed with Kate Bush. So like that's the only reason she knew her. She could, she could never tell you a Kate Bush song. Like the fact that I have a family member who drove Peter Gabriel around from gig to gig in the 80s and still <laughs> I never heard her music and he doesn't know her music is like nauseatingly awful to me. <laughs> I just texted my mom, do you know Kate Bush? And I have a feeling she's going to be like, was she our neighbor? <laughs> like, is, that George, is that George's cousin? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Did she die? Yeah. Uh oh. What yeah, happened? I think Why, what happened? <laughs> pretty, pretty. Oh, wait. She's my mom says yes, late 70s, maybe. Oh, all right. See that not, okay, not dissimilar so she's heard of her. from my mom's answer. Yeah. I think Kate Bush does better in this category if instead it's uh, does me mom know who yes. they are. <laughs> okay. So time for the verdict. Should Kate Bush be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will she be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And if so, when? We'll start with Kristen. She should. She will. I, she will. She'll get in eventually. The, the big question is when. And I really think, you know, I can feel some momentum building just with regard to what Joe was saying, I guess, with this cover happening. And then also with just kind of the focus whether or not that has helped in any way, shape or form, but at least we are talking more and more about getting more women in. And I think that, you know, with Roxy Music's induction and with kind of like, there's a bit more of an avant, and Depeche Mode's induction, you know, like there's a more of an a goth avant-garde bent happening that I we wouldn't have seen coming years ago. So I think she is going to get in. I think the next time she's on the ballot, she could get in. When that will be, I think it could it could be I think maybe 3 years from now. Interesting. Would be my guess. Okay. Optimistic. Optimistic, optimistic. All right. Well, uh informant deep purple throat. What do you think? <laughs> should she will she win? Should she should she be in? She should be included in any membership of the most important musicians. Yes. I actually don't want her in. This is going to sound really contradictory because, well, firstly, it's just, I feel like the rock hall is just kind of antithetical to who she is as an artist. At the same time, I do think she'd be appreciative. She has historically, when she wins awards, been like grateful if she knows what they are. But the idea of her music being played for a bunch of corporate people who won't even like it 
and will just write it off makes me feel icky inside. I, it's hard to explain. Like I am, I don't think you can love an artist more than I love Kate Bush. So like, yes, I would love for more people to discover her through this. There's just something about it that just feels weird to me as a mega fan. I wouldn't be unhappy. I'd be happy because it would bring her more attention and acclaim, which she always deserves. Will it happen? I think for some of the stuff you were talking about, I can see it. From my vantage point, I don't think it will happen just based on how poorly, how few votes she got, to be frank. But you never know. It's 20, well, I was going to say it's 2020. It's 2021. We just heard yeah. a pandemic. Who the uh -huh. hell knows what's going to happen? Right. Who the hell knows? So yeah. if it does happen, I hope it's not in Cleveland because if for some, like I <laughs> doubt she would come, that would be why. Because for those of you who don't back on her, she has not been to the US since the early 90s for a trip once. But even then, like she doesn't, she doesn't travel. The idea of like, we're asking you to come to America and to Cleveland, like girl, like she, no, at least ask her to New York. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think she should. Uh, and I would, I would want to see her inducted. Be, I know that the, your misgivings are valid. You know, that the, these corporate, for these corporate fuckers who, why would we want to do that for them? But I also think about, you know, this goes to, HBO and now HBO Max and this goes to the the homes and this this is accessible to a lot of different people. I it think is the home box office. <laughs> some some have said before. <laughs> yeah, but the uh, I, I just think the exposure and getting this type of interesting music to a lot of different people, especially younger people is a good thing and people who maybe wouldn't have access to it before because maybe they're tuning into the ceremony because they want to watch the Foo Fighters or Eminem or whatever. And then they hear Kate Bush. And I do think there would be people who would go, oh, this is interesting. I want to learn more about this. And that would be like an entryway. I think when the Rock Hall works effectively, that's what it is, is it can open doors for people into something they maybe wouldn't have seen before. Now, will she be inducted? Uh, I think she will. I think the over-under is probably about 10 years. I think there needs to be a shift in kind of the, the makeup of the voting body uh, that will only just take time. And then I think, you know, it could happen sooner or later, but around then it would be my guess. Now, let's have some fun. Let's pretend, hey, it's been announced. Kate Bush is getting another Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who should induct her at the ceremony? I've had this plan perfectly for years. Yeah. I had it plotted out. And we talked about her before. It's going to be Bjork. It has to be Bjork. It should be Bjork. Bjork has been on the record as a huge fan, has talked about her in so many interviews. She, she, she paved the way for Bjork. Bjork used to live within walking distance of the Barclays Center. I'm not creepy at all. Anyways. <laughs> um, but, I, but yes, okay, it's not my fault. It was in an article. It talked about her property being up for sale. So I'm like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, wasn't actually looking to find out where Bjork lived, but I remember having this fantasy in my head when I knew Bjork lived in the neighborhood. I was like, wait, Bjork could literally walk in her Alexander McQueen shoes to go and duck Kate Bush to the Barclays Center. So that's my dream. Uh -huh. Also, it would just make every artsy gay person in the world implode. And like, that would just be hilarious. We would just all freak out and it would be great. I also, obviously, for reasons you talked about, second choice would definitely be a big boy because he's been, he doesn't just love running up that hill. He loves the dreaming. He loves the kick inside. He's a big fan. And they've actually now, um, he's talked about, they've met. They had dinner. He said, we had dinner. We talked about our kids going to college. Um, yeah. I, so I love it. That's really I know. Sweet. They're like, but so, so now, because they actually know each other, I love that. Oh and also, Joe, to speak to your point, I do, I do want that in terms of like, 
yes, this will expose her music to people who wouldn't have been exposed to it before. I guess it's like that protective thing where, as I said, she, I do think of her like a third parent. She's like, well, fourth, because my grandma's my other parent. But like, she's like a mother figure to me. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, I don't want people making fun of my mom type oh, of thing. Oh, sure, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like the people who are tuning in to see the Foo Fighters are then gonna be like, this is weird, ew. I'm like, leave my mom alone. <laughs> yeah. She's perfect. Yeah, but yeah, Bjork or definitely Bjork or Big Boy. like. Yeah, amazing. I would also love it if it was the year. I mean, let's just it should be next year. Outcast gets in, Kate Bush gets in at the same time. Be such a great thing. But that would be in Cleveland. Also, Peter Gabriel, I think, would yeah. be a, a good choice. As yeah, well. there's some. Yeah, I was gonna say there's some rock royalty like Elton John, like Peter Gabriel, and like a, a, a meaningful one would be David Gilmore because he is the one who really started Kate's career because of a family friend, you know, mutual friend, and he got her demos, you know, to the right people, and they've maintained, you know, a friendship. And uh, I think that you know he was there from the beginning, and that that would be really cool. And then you think about like the rock hall too. Also the person they tend to go back to all the time is St. Vincent, who I think could do a good job. And I know is a, is a big Kate Bush fan. I would like to see her in the performance portion, like come on and do something with her. Yeah. Cause that's the elephant in the room is like, what would perform? Would she like, perform? Kate, yeah. No, Kate is not performing. Like, yeah. Cause the reason, the only reason she even performed again in 2014 after 35 years is she just, she needs her performances to be this big spectacle that she has control over every aspect mm-hmm. and that's not the rock hall no. that is not the rock some, hall yeah, it would yeah. be some sort of like like what they did with nirvana type of thing which i yeah. think could be cool yeah yeah and i think saint vincent would be a great person to be part of that let's just say though for for fuck's sake let's say she's gonna perform <laughs> why not what songs does she play? And I guess there's a few different ways to answer this. There's like what HBO would want and then what what Kate Bush would do and then maybe even what you would like to see. I think if it was HBO's decision, you know, they would want Wuthering Heights, they would want Running Up That Hill and then maybe just because it might be overrated, but it feels appropriate to do this woman's work because you're literally- I love it. It's just overrated. You're, you're honoring this woman's work and it feels almost like so on the nose you have to do it. Uh, but what what songs would you like to see if she was going to do like a three or four song set? My dream is, so nothing from the dreaming has ever been performed live, not one oh, song. Okay. <laughs> just do all the dreaming. The issue is, so her voice has transformed radically and she cannot- it makes me quite sad to be honest. Um, she cannot, so in Before the Dawn from her 2014 performance, she only performs things from the second half of her career because she's not physically able to sing most of the things from the, her first half. She smokes the most, Phil Collins once called her the most stoned woman in England. <laughs> she's known for being the biggest weed smoker, like ever, which is one of the nice quaint things about her. Like everyone was doing coke and partying. She was just sitting at home smoking weed all the time. Yeah. Like she would, she was known to start smoking at 8 a.m. and keep going all day so she ruined her lungs and it's also um, so funny just because you don't think of Kate Bush as like stoner music at all Ariel side two next time you get high Ariel <laughs> side two. trust me okay trust me but yeah so I think so she can't perform like even if they want her to perform like Babushka and Wuthering Heights she physically can't yeah so that so we're limited to kind of the second half of her career Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of if she were to perform. I think if anyone, like if we had a more like what they did in Nirvana, I keep going to that because that was good. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like if you're covering her, you could do anything really. 
I want her to do all of the dreaming. Her best song of all time is this one called Night of the Swallow, which there's no way she can sing now, but oh, if only. Even though, so this is one of those examples of, oh, this person gets compared to Kate Bush lazily. Florence Welsh gets compared to her a lot with no basis because they make such, Florence Welsh is a soul singer. Kate Bush, what's really singular about her is she's not remotely influenced by soul or R&B or anything. But I think I've had this dream of Florence covering Hounds of Love title track and Hello Earth and Love, of, and, Love and Anger. Those songs would fit her voice really, really well. So I would love to hear her cover those. She would be great, a great person to, I think, to just be included in this kind of thing. Cause she, she, it's more about her persona and her style than it is about her voice. Exactly. So even if it was in Cleveland, I know if it was in New York, I know the answer, but even if it was in Cleveland, if Kate Bush gets inducted, would you go? Uh, well, I know if it I would go to Antarctica, which is if any for any opportunity to like be within thirty five feet of within like a. Do you think she'll come to the ceremony if she gets inducted? No. If and if even if it's in New York, probably no. not. Yeah, she's only made. I wrote down she's made three public appearances. She made well. Okay, so she went to the her when she was given the CVE by the Queen in twenty thirteen. That was a public appearance she made. She's only come to three award shows since the BPI Awards in nineteen eighty six. So that was the two thousand one Q Awards where she got the Classic Songwriter Award. And she gave it's go on YouTube. It's great. She gives this really cute speech where she comes on stage. She goes, "I've just come," and no one laughs. And it's really funny. Um, <laughs> 2012, she comes to the South Bank Sky Arts Awards, where she won the Pop Award for her last album, 50 Words for Snow. And it was like such a big shock that she came that it was on the cover of every British newspaper. 2014, she won an award for Before the Dawn and came. So I think she only even went to those because, and she has not been seen in public since December 2014. When was so, she showed up to Elton John's, uh, like- Yeah, that was December 2014. I remember, I remember I was on a date I saw some of the friend texted me about it. <laughs> it didn't really go well from the rest for the rest of it because I was freaking out. <laughs> yeah, because he he had invited her. It was kind of a ceremony with his partner, and he just invited her, like, I'll invite her, not expecting her to come. And then she did. And uh, the reports of that, like there were a lot of famous people there, but everybody was just like, Holy shit, Kate Bush is here. That's all anybody can talk about. Yeah. So she wouldn't and like those things that she did go to were domestic were it with close enough to where she lives. She's not flying, if but I also want to meet her because I think I would, I don't, I, I would like, I don't know what I would do. I would pass. I couldn't think I don't, wouldn't even be in control of my body. Like she's God to me. So I don't know what I would, it's like, if you met Jesus, what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe someday soon we can be there to, to hold you up <laughs> as you faint <laughs> so that you don't hit the floor. Thank you for making the world a better place. Cause she has. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, hopefully, you know, the only hope I think you could hold out, I know it's a pipe dream, but like showing up at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for Kate Bush is such an unexpected thing that maybe that's why Kate Bush would do it. Right, or I think there's, she might possibly record like a thank you video, maybe. But yeah. even the thing is for like, she doesn't even do video interviews. She only does phone interviews. She purposefully will not like come on camera unless it's completely under her control. So I just, it's hard to imagine.
Yeah, but well, who she, knows? she just wants to stay away from me. <laughs> yeah, now <laughs> now we have evidence. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing the podcast. We really appreciate it. This was a long time coming in some respects, so I'm glad we we finally got to do it. Yes, me too. And I'm I was very happy to be on it. And I recommend anyone who is a Kate Bush fan should check out um the podcast Strange Phenomena, which is part of the same network. As I said, we go through Kate Bush's discography song by song do a lot of really intense, really good analysis from unexpected perspectives. And it's a good time. That's great. So check out Strange Phenomena. It's on the Pantheon Network. Well, of course, you can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. RockHallPod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see that, you're going to need to designate that somewhere in your message. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it to her. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Why not? It's not going to kill you. Give us five stars only. If you give us anything other than five stars, it is rude. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Pazala. I'm Kristen Stuttered. And who cares? about the rock hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.